Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the, of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealer move more iron for the past 100 years, and Tractor Zoom delivering insights. Uh, if you're looking for a great place to track what's going on in the auction market, Tractor Zoom is the best place to do that. They have 500 independent auction agencies that report uh, data to them, so you'll have a great way to track uh, what's going on in the auction market all in one place from all around the United States. So if you're interested in that, when you go to Tractor Zoom, go to Iron Comps, and if you like what you see, use uh, Moving Iron at checkout, and you get yourself a nice little discount. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca, Boca, Raton, Boca Raton, Florida. And uh, Sean is nice enough to come on once a week to talk about what's going on in the markets. And Sean, you know, we had a pretty big event happen down in um, Brazil over the over the last couple of weeks here. Um, especially this last three or four days, another freeze event happened down there uh, in some of the key growing areas of of Brazil, and uh, the corn got bit one more time. Uh, we tried to record yesterday, but you were up to your eyeballs uh, in the coffee trade because of the way the frost had, had taken off. So first off, how you been? I guess we should start there first and, and, and uh, kind of go from there. I'm doing great. Yeah, I've been out here in Utah and Colorado all week doing presentations and talking about you know, weather and our cycles and stuff. So it's been a really good meeting dairymen, cattlemen, and grain farmers. So it's, it's been a really good trip. However, of course, Murphy's Law, we have, a, we have the first major frost for Brazil coffee area since 1994. And, uh, but, you know, of course, so when I'm least able to handle all this, this is when it all comes down, right? <laughs> That's exactly how it happens every time. Yeah. So, but um, I guess, you know, as you know, Casey, our, our general thesis has been that we're going to be moving into a much colder winter season, starting with the Southern Hemisphere as a precursor or kind of a, a, a uh, kind of telling us that that was going to be the, that was going to give us the, the, uh, the template for what to expect in the Northern Hemisphere. And part of that was that South America and Brazil were going to experience very cold weather and a lot of frost. And so we have seen one of the coldest, um, I would call, you know, May, June, July timeframes in South America and Brazil. I mean, you have to go back 20 or 30 years to see a, a more persistent cold pattern than this. It's been a long time. Um, and of course, I believe this could be the fourth frost that's clipped the corn crop here. Okay. I believe it might be frost number four. Mm -hmm. Could be three. I th it's three or four. Um, and of course, 
even the coffee crop got a major, major frost, which is really hard to do because it's further north. And even it had a major, major frost. So this is a sign of the times, Casey, that we've been talking about on your program for a long time, that we're moving into this more colder extreme kind of pattern. And this is a exact kind of a verification we look for to see if, are we still on the right track with what we're saying? Are our weather cycles still giving us the right information? Are we making the right forecast? No one, I'm aware of, no one was forecasting this kind of a cold, persistent cold pattern in South America this season, but we certainly have been, and, and, it, and it, it, has, it has caused great consternation for those crops that are grown down, whether it's coffee, whether it's orange juice or the orange crop, orange juice price has been taking off, whether it's the corn crop, sugar crop. I mean, it's been quite a wide affected crop areas that this frost has impacted, and so it sure looks to me like we are getting set up for what's going to happen here um, as we start get into the winter season. And of course, we'll be talking about that in Nashville here in, in a little while on your uh, at your uh, uh, Moving Iron Summit. So yep, yeah, and the weird thing about this whole frost thing is that we're the the uh, news markets up here are. Our, uh, our news markets, news outlets up here are very focused on the fact that we've gotten some rain up here. Um, corn, you know, looks great, but we've also had, um, I think this is day seven or eight anyway, of 90 plus degree, 95 plus degree heat. Uh, yesterday was 101 here where I'm at. Uh, if you go to like Omaha, you start making your way east into Iowa, Illinois, Indiana. They're supposed to start getting that heat this week over the weekend here where they're supposed to be peaking out about 100. Um, so a lot of heat in, in you know, pollination phase of corn right now. Um, yeah, we're getting some rain. Yeah, we're getting those kind of things. But it's still hot, still windy. Um, I guess in your opinion, Scott, Scott, I guess we got to interview a new guy now. I don't know where Scott came from. In, in in your opinion, Sean, in your opinion, Sean, and you look I've been at call, case I've been called worse, it's no worse. <laughs> I guess I guess in your opinion, why do you think uh, the focus from Brazil and what's happening in South America with with these frost events? I mean, it's different than when than when just having the, the dry stuff. I mean, a frost event is a is a finisher for a crop. You know, I guess so. As you take a look at those things, why do you feel like? Brazil is not in the news right now as much as it should be, and and are traders paying attention to this? And because yesterday, it was a free for all. I mean, it could not gone down fast enough yesterday. This time of the year, the market only cares about U.S. weather, and, and maybe they might care about you know uh, Russian weather possibly, but they just don't care about anything else. They just it, it doesn't mean that those frosts don't matter. It matters a great deal to further reducing the crop potential, but they, they're just focused on U.S. That's all they care about. That's all they're going to trade. They literally don't, aren't even pulling up a single weather map in, in South America for corn right now. It's just what the market focuses on. They're making a big mistake, but they make all kinds of big mistakes, and, we, and that's just the way, that's the, way the markets are. Um, and remember, the most important variable for corn yield is temperature. Mm-hmm. You can have all the rain you want, but if the temperature is two degrees or more above normal on an average in the grain belt in the month of June and in the month of July, we have never had a trend line or above trend line corn yield crop. We've always had below. Yeah. And so I, the, the June was 3.4 degrees above normal. 
We haven't finished out July yet, but it does look like that we're going to be at least two degrees above normal, which means regardless of the rains we've gotten, that because, you know, rain makes grain is this mantra that the right. speculators always use every year. The crop is not – I'm not saying it's a terrible crop, Casey. I'm not saying that, but I do not believe we're looking at a 178, 180, 182. These are the numbers you're seeing thrown around yeah. now. I think we're looking at – Low 170s, you know, maybe it's a mid 170s crop, but a, a below trend line yield crop, and that's going to keep your carryouts between a billion bushels and a billion three or a billion four, and that's not a lot of corn, especially with South with, with Brazil totally offline this year for exports. And then what, what that means is we have to have a absolute perfect crop next year to make this work, and as you know. We think it'll be very, very uh, challenging uh, mm-hmm. planting and growing season in the U.S. and Northern Hemisphere. So, but speculators are going to sell. It looks like they're going to want to pound this thing into some kind of a harvest low, and we're looking to take advantage of that for the livestock producer to buy feed before we get into this next phase transition higher. So, so for if you're in the livestock business, dairy, cattle, you know, of any sort, hog business. Look to buy feed in the fall. We think it's going to be as good an opportunity on a relative basis as last August was. Yeah, so. yeah. You have the uh, the I eighty corn tours are coming up here. I think I think there's one that starts next week, if I remember correctly. But yeah. Um, and then you'll have your typical one in September that that kind of goes through there. That thing that's the pro farmer one that goes through then. Yeah. Um, they're going to drive down I eighty because I've I've driven down I eighty plenty uh, between uh, Lincoln and Omaha and. Um, it looks amazing and as you go from uh, Lincoln to like Grand Island. Uh, still looks great. And then you kind of when you start getting past uh, Kearney into Ogallala and those areas, depending on the irrigation, those kind of things, you start to see a little bit of tail off there. But uh, I, I've, I can only imagine what it looks like across IED, across uh, southern Iowa, where, where they're going to be at. In the north uh, western part of Iowa, we're experiencing that drought and those kind of things. Are all going to start? Are going to have some significant issues. So, as you take a look at what's going on there, here we've got another week of of hundred degree heat up in uh, the Dakotas and over into Minnesota and down into uh, Northwest Iowa. I guess you take a look at that area um, from a wheat perspective. A lot of custom cutters that were down in Kansas, kind of finishing up there, basically skipped Nebraska and went straight to Montana because of. Well, you know the drought situation they're having there with spring wheat, and it's headed out ready to be cut. I mean, it might only be five or six inches tall, but they they've got to go cut that right now. So, I guess as you take a look at what's going on in the wheat market, with all the distractions and everything, all the moving parts we see going around there, you're getting close to your uh, your blow off top that we've been talking about here. Yeah, I mean, we've had another correction in spring wheat. It's kind of followed corn and soybeans down. We thought it could be more independent. It's turned out not to be. It seems like the speculators and the algorithms just uh, just traded them all the same. But we I, we do think there's another. Uh, I do believe there's a um, a wheat crop tour coming up next week that's going to start looking at some of the spring wheat and the Durham wheat. And I, I think the market just forgot how bad this crop is. You know, 11% good to excellent is yeah. 1988, which was the worst yeah. greater crop in history. I just, I just think the market just, for, just forgot, you know, how. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this crop tour is going to go in there and going, you know, 
it's what it is. And then I think there's going to be another, I think there might be one final surge higher to truly trade what is potentially one of the worst, if not the worst winter wheat crop. I mean, a uh, spring wheat crop in the Northern Plains and in the Canadian prairies ever seen. Um, why do we have to remind the market? I don't know, but it looks like we do. So I'm, I'm anticipating, you know, we've had, this is the third $1 break we've had in spring wheat without any real change in the fundamentals. And every time it's broken a dollar or more, it's come running right back to new highs. And we think we have one more of those in this spring wheat market. So if you're a producer and, you know, you're looking to maximize uh, sales with a very poor crop, you know, you, we think this, it's probably worth waiting this out a little bit, this correction and, and looking for one more blow off top potential to maybe, you know, land some sales before maybe we put in a top for a while. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's getting to be a, a, a dire a dire straits up there when you start looking at at uh, how all those are playing out. And then especially throw that, uh, the regionality of that, of that drought up there. Last couple of years, you know, just like North Dakota may have had a drought or just South Dakota or, you know, just Eastern Montana or something like that. Now with it being so widespread, you know, you take a look at what's going on with the cattle market there. There's a lot of cattle being um, shuffled off to, to sell because they just don't have the water um, and, and the feed, for that matter. There's no um, hay. There's no, no hay, water. There's yeah. no nothing. It's gone. I've been talking to a lot of folks that, you know, they they're just they can't buy hay and they don't have any hay to, to get. I mean, so it's just, what, what do you do, right? So yeah. I, I guess talk about that from that reflection. Let's talk about that a little bit in the, in the cattle marketplace. Well, this, this drought, which has been cattle cattle ground centric right. you know um and then the winter that we see coming which is going to cause further deaths further liquidation lower weights uh, hurt fertility cycles all kind all those things means that we are going to likely be in the spring and summer of next year with a really 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 uh low animal count for for the cattle market at a time that demand should continue to be very strong so we're really optimistic for spring summer cattle prices we think we could be entering a a pretty wild situation the only thing that's held cattle back this year is the fact we couldn't bring the animals through because of the lack of packer capacity and this extra supply that came in as you said from the drought and just from the uneconomical nature of high corn feed and everything else so that's while that's kept the price depressed this year it's a springboard for next year so what we're conveying to our customers is you know sure you know, make some sales. You gotta, you know, you gotta pay the bills, and, and you know the prices have rallied some. But we would be very, very light making cash sales for the spring and summer. We think it's going to be a pretty wild situation. And if you're the dairy business, the cold cow price that you're going to be able to get next year is going to be phenomenal. You'll be able to really equitize those cold cows that you need to get rid of. Um, so it's gonna, we think it's going to be a really, really good good year for the cattle business after a couple of just you know brutal years for them. So. You know, I, 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 the, the, the bad part is we've had to, they've had to endure some tough times. The good news is I think good times are the pendulum is finally going to swing their way. And they're going to have a good, good go of it. Um, but we just got to get through this winter first before we get there, you know? Yep. <coughs> yeah, you're exactly right. When you take a look at, at that scenario there, I mean, there's guys that are, they're selling off their whole herd. They've been working, you know, their entire career to, to build. So it's a sad thing, but it, like you said, there's. I mean, I've been. I've met. I've met. A, I've been meeting a whole bunch of you know cattlemen here on my uh, 
trip here in my speakerships and you know and they're just it's just a really really difficult time for them it's unfortunate but yep. um you know i pray hard for them and that they can see it through and, and get to the other side they're uh we need them we want them they're hard-working people and they they're doing the right thing and um you know if they can make it through they're going to have better times ahead and so hopefully you know god willing they can find ways to to you know they're resourceful people. They, they've made it through tough times before, and hopefully a lot of them can make it through it again. Yep. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, Sean, let's talk about one more thing real quick, and, and we'll hang it up. Uh, cotton, we talk about every once in a while in here, and, and sugar both are two things that I'll, I'll make sure we hit on. But, but cotton is kind of – it's actually – you know, price of cotton has been, been very strong here of late. Uh, you see some of the ebbs and flows that you see in the other marketplaces like that, but with the uh, with the economy, uh, inflation, and those kind of things out there, and and the way that's starting to shape up, what that looks like, um, cotton has had a fairly decent run. So talk about cotton a little bit, and then um, kind of what you see happening from a weather pattern in the south, where you know with the hurricane season that you've been talking about, and, and some of those hurricane tropical storms and those kind of things and as we really get into the real meat and potatoes of uh hurricane season coming up here what are your thoughts on on the cotton market and where it could go i think one of the most important things you everyone has to understand cotton has been developing very very slowly this year because it's been cool and wet down there right. this year exactly opposite opposite of, now. of, of the other place has been cool and wet cool and wet is not cotton weather what you know they want hot and wet not cool and wet and so um it's way behind and what does that mean it means it pushes you know the open bowl season further into the hurricane season so the further you get into you know september the you know the more the greater the chances that you're going to have storms impact uh your crop exactly at the moment that you do not want to drop a rain so we're really worried that there could be a big event here uh, like a, a major weather spike event here in the cotton market in the deep south in Texas, because so much of this crop's going to be opening those bowls in September versus August, and it's just it's just you you're you're playing Russian roulette with the hurricane season, especially one that we think is going to be probably one of the most active we've ever seen. It's it's just setting up for a really difficult, or not difficult, but a really wild spike trade, and so we would. Uh, um, once again, obviously, farmers have to sell what they have to sell, but we would keep some powder dry as a cotton producer for the potential for a wild spike trade. You know, could we see, you know, 90s or a dollar cotton? We certainly could, Casey, if we get a legitimate hurricane that just blows in and just puts 20 inches of rain on open bowls. I mean, it could be a disaster. So we really think that's a possibility this year, and we would really want our cotton producers to it, it you know to keep some powder dry for that because that would really be when they would want to sell after that has been traded so yeah so there that's i never thought of it that way but yeah that's a good point i mean if you're pushing everything out to where especially you know everything that i've listened to uh, on the weather and then what you've talked about too is that this is going to be a very active uh, late uh, hurricane season so it'll be interesting to see how that shapes well, out remember la nina's coming back as you know it's, everyone's already talking about it again it's coming back and and we we that was been our forecast that even though earlier in the summer everyone said it's dead it's not coming back now they're all saying it's coming back which has been our forecast that intensifies the hurricane season mm-hmm. it takes rid of the it's rid of the wind shear and and fires up the engines again um so that's 
and, and you know that's going to be an additive force to firing up these storms later in the season. And like the corn crop in Brazil, you know it pushed that pollination further out into the frost season, making it really, really challenging. You push the open bowl season further out into this hurricane season, you're just asking for a, a world of hurt. Yeah. I don't wish that upon the the, cat, the the cotton farmers at all, but I I can't control the weather. I can just forecast it. So yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a, an interesting story to watch as it unfolds. All right, let's talk about sugar real quick. Um, sugar beet season uh, is rolling up here. Uh, harvest will be here in I don't know forty five days or so. Um, well, probably more like sixty days, but um, nonetheless, it's it's getting close to where where we're going to be at that that first week of September. They do an early harvest and then they kind of uh, you know slow it down, see where they're at, and then they kind of go from there. But the uh, some of the main sugar growing areas of the world are under pressure just like everything else that seems to be so i guess as you look at the sugar market and what's going on there uh what are your thoughts well you know brazil's the big dog for sugar one of the big mm -hmm. dogs and you know they suffered drought like the coffee market did like the corn crop did they've been suffering from the frost as well normally frost isn't a problem as much for sugar because it increases sugar content but <laughs> when you get so many <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. it, it, too much of a good thing. And so, so, so they, they've just had, you know, they've gotten clobbered down there. Um, so that's really been, been, and remember that we had that very ugly frost in Europe for the sugar beet crop that yep. really, really took the top off. So at a time that we already had tight supplies to begin with, and the Asian crops are not going to come in, Casey, until, you know, mid-late fall. I mean, that's when those supplies start coming in. So you still have a pretty good void here where, you know, we're not seeing anything good happening, you know, in, in Brazil or, or in Europe and such. And, um, and of course, you know, the, the sugar beet crop here is not going to be a top one either. And so, so it just looks to me like the sugar market needs to press higher to, uh, to account for a pretty tight supply. And then, then we better hope that the Asian crops, the Thailand crop, the Indian crop deliver um, and, uh, and, and, and those supplies become available. I think they will. Asia looks pretty good to me for sugar. Uh, but um, we still got to get there first. And so I still think, you know, when you're looking at the price of sugar, I still think it's, I think right now it's in the mid 17s. I think it, I think it could probably push up to 20, you know, before maybe we could say that's about it for getting through this rough patch. So, yep. So there's a, that's a, one of those key crops in my area, you know, sugar beets are, yeah. are that. And then you go up to the Red River Valley up, up north and into the Dakotas there where that's at. And you're starting to see some more of that, some drop pressure up there as well. So, um, there's just plenty Happy of times. Plenty, times. plenty of moving parts out here, man. So, if, yeah. well, Sean, I let you get off to the airport here, but you know, as you take a look at, uh, at what's going on here, one last slide as we move into next week, what are some of the key things you're going to be paying attention to uh, in the trade over the next uh, next five or six days? I'm going to pay. I'll be really paying. I want to really pay attention to this uh, winter wheat crop tour that they're doing up there for Durham and spring wheat. I think that is going to be kind of an epiphany or a, re, a reawakening of the awakening of how bad that situation really is. And that could bring some buyers back, not only on spring wheat, but it could bring some buyers, some short covering into corn and soybeans as a collateral effect. Obviously we want to continue to watch the weather maps, Casey, you know, I mean, you know, uh, August is still an important month for yep. grain production, especially for soybeans. And, you know, uh, right now, you know, it doesn't look too threatening, but you know, we st it can still change. We're still coming on Sunday night, and all the weather models are saying hot and dry. It's not our forecast, but you know, I mean, short-term weather forecasting is what it is, right? right. So, the market, you know, we want to be looking for that. 
And, um, you know, and the other thing that I think we want to be looking for, you know, do we see some increased business from China on this big break in grains? You know, or do we see that happen again? Do we see them all of a sudden, you know, some big orders from them again and, and maybe get the market more excited? It's so, so I'd be looking at exports. I'd be looking at this crop tour uh, coming up. And, um, and obviously, like everybody else, just, just saying, you know, really looking at the temperature maps. I'm really looking at the temperature maps. I'm really interested in how hot could it be? How hot is it, is it going to be going into the end of July and into August? Because that still is the most important factor for corn, at least. And um, and it, it looks like the heat's it looks like the heat's still going to be there. I still think the heat is going to be there well into the first week of August before it might break. And that's um, that's still worrisome. That still is something that might catch the market or keep the market from you know totally giving way here. And so that so that's what I'll be watching. That's what I'll be watching. Well, good stuff, Sean. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about Hackett Financial and what, and what Hackett Financial can do for them, what's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Web, there's video podcasts. There's reports, white papers for them to see how we think and what we do to see if we might be of service to them. Right on. Well, Sean, thanks for being on the podcast. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to movingironllc.com. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast and the entire library all in one place, as well as all the blog posts I have out there as well. Uh, check out the uh, Moving Iron Summit while you're there. Up in the navigation bar, just click on Moving Iron Summit, and you'll get all the information that you need to um to attend that so hotel information speaker information meeting registration uh, all, all anything and everything you need is right there if you have more questions about that you can send me a pod, uh, podcast if you wanted to i guess you could send that too but you can send me an email at moving iron podcast at moving ironpodcast.com and i will send you all the information that you need so with that i am casey seymour with sean hackett as i stumble across every word today gus go move some iron folks out you want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here